0: As mentioned, the text this afternoon is from Lord's Day 11 of the Hadwork Catechism. You can find that on page 526 of your book of praise. Having d- just discussed the Apostles' Creed and what it has to say about the first person of the Trinity, it now moves on to the second person of the Trinity, God the Son and our redemption. And there in Lord's Day 11 it asks... Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well being in saints, in themselves, or anywhere else also believe in the only Savior Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior Jesus. For one of two things must be true, either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. And that's Lord's Day 11. After the sermon, we'll sing from hymn 28, stanzas 1, 3, and 4. We love the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Depending on who you ask, you might receive very different answers. Jesus is a familiar name, but many people might be unclear as to who he actually is. Perhaps we can say that most people will know that Jesus was a man who lived about 2,000 years ago in what is modern day Israel. Perhaps they know that Jesus said some wise things like love your enemies or something like the golden rule. They might even know of the death he died on the cross. There might be some who know quite a lot about Jesus and others who have only some vague ideas. Similarly, you can ask a Muslim or Jehovah Witness who Jesus is and you'll get very different answers. The Muslim will say Jesus is a prophet and the Jehovah Witness might Say that he's an angel or a man with a special bond with God. So who is Jesus Christ? Now, who is Jesus Christ for those who believe in him? Already this afternoon, we have confessed that I believe in Jesus Christ. But the question then still is, of course, what does this mean? Who is he? Why do you believe in him? And that's an important question. If we don't know who he is, then how can we believe in him? And if we don't rightly know who he is, why would we entrust our lives to him? And this draws out the weightiness of the matter. To believe in Jesus Christ implies that we entrust ourselves to him. We believe that our life is not our own, but that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we don't know who he is, we wouldn't know for sure how we should feel about belonging to him. But if we do know Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, we have every reason to believe in him and to feel safe also in his care and following him. And therefore, this afternoon, we will study who Jesus Christ is again, so that we may be reminded of whom Jesus is and why we believe in him. And the focus will be on Jesus as our Savior, and we see that Jesus saves us from our sin, therefore, we believe in him as, first of all, our Savior, second, our only Savior, and then thirdly, our complete Savior. So first, we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now the Catechism in Lord's Day 11 has moved on from discussing God the Father and our creation to discussing Jesus Christ and our redemption. And it goes through the Apostles' Creed, and as it goes through the Creed, the Hatterberg Catechism meticulously discusses every aspect of the the Creed, and especially of Jesus' life. And it begins with the name Jesus. Now, it might even seem odd for the catechism to focus on just the name Jesus. Although, names might still be important in our day and age. They most likely don't give away the kind of person we are. Your name might mean something very interesting or something very special. But it doesn't have to agree with what your life really looks like. And so, why is it important that we know why Jesus was called jesus doesn't matter for our faith now if we want to know why jesus and why his name is important we have to look at the his birth for in the gospels and especially in matthew and luke we read that it was not joseph or mary that got to pick the name jesus they're both told to do so by an angel and so it was god himself who chose the name jesus for this child and therefore the name has to be something important. Matthew gives us the explanation that is given to Joseph. The angel comes to Joseph in a dream and assuring him that he should take Mary as his wife. And he explains in Matthew 1 verse 21 that that Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So from the very beginning, God calls this child Jesus because he is the Savior. He's going to save his people. And the name itself means something like the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. So in Jesus' case, the name is not just a name, but it's, it's a promise. There were likely a lot of children, a lot of boys born that were named Jesus by their parents. But for Joseph and Mary, it was different. That when they named, named their son Jesus, they believed the promise of the Lord, that indeed this child was indeed was going to save his people from their sins. We also have other Bible stories that show us that when God names or renames someone, there is a certain expectation or even anticipation. When Abraham in Genesis 17 was renamed Abraham, which means a father of a multitude, he's 99 years old and only the father of Ishmael. And there we wonder if God will also indeed make Abraham to be a father of a multitude. Will God who renamed Abraham make him into a great nation? And in Jesus' case... Will this child truly be a savior of his people? Will he live up to the name was the question. And in the gospels they continue and, and we see indeed that Jesus truly was the savior. But then the question is what did Jesus actually save us from? And the catechism this afternoon follows the clarification that the, uh, that the angel gives to Joseph by explaining that Jesus is our savior because he saves us from all our sins. Now just, let, just think about that for a moment. Sin is identified as the heart of the problem. As it is the problem that we need to be saved from. We can look at the world around us and we can look at our own lives and we can perhaps identify, identify difficulties or name certain things that we would like to be saved from. Maybe we would like to be saved from difficult people or difficult circumstances or we like to be saved from a difficult marriage or we would like to be saved from our broken human body if someone could just help you get out of these problems then we would be considered saved that would to be considered we would consider that salvation but the fact is that even if we're saved from these problems these particular circumstances the real problem isn't solved All of these problems are just telling us that there's a greater problem, and it is sin. Changing our circumstances or hoping to be rescued from them is not going to solve the problem that is in each one of us. The problem is not out there in the circumstances, but it's in here. The fact that we are all sinners and that we are all slaves to sin. That means that we are, by our very nature, under God's wrath against sin. And it means that we need a Savior who can save us from our sin, from ourselves, and satisfy God's wrath. That's the heart of the problem as Scripture identifies it. It's sin. It's us, sinners. And now in Scripture, if we read the Gospels, we also see that Jesus does exactly that, that he saves us from our sins, that he satisfied God's wrath with his death and resurrection. In him we have forgiveness of sins, and God's wrath is satisfied, as we also read in Colossians. But then the question is, who does he save? Who does he save from their sins? And now this question, has, or the answer to this question, has already been assumed by the Catechism for a long time. And already in Lord's Day 7, it talks about that Jesus saves those who believe in him. And also notice how the Catechism in Lord's Day 11 is, is, is personal. It speaks of our redemption. And Jesus saves us from our sins. And so also in Matthew 1, verse 21 The angel speaks to Joseph and says that Jesus is saving his people from their sins. It's not just sin in general as like a problem out there that is being dealt with. It is our sin. And it's our problem in our lives that we're talking about. And that Christ also came to save. Perhaps so many people out there, outside the church, can admire Jesus for what he said. Or they might even admire him for his sacrificial death and the love that he showed for his brothers. Because, well, they can admire a Savior and someone who shows love in that way. I mean, anyone can admire the good qualities of a Savior or a Savior figure. And it's no wonder that there are so many movies that feature superheroes and Savior figures who are saving other people or saving the world. Because we can admire such a figure and we can cheer them on. But there's a huge difference between admiring someone as a Savior and admiring them as your Savior. And just consider this. This year, 2015, marked the 70th anniversary of the end of World War II. And for years, Canadian veterans have flown back to Europe. Perhaps a lot of Canadian veterans will go back to Holland to celebrate and commemorate this event with the Dutch. And these veterans are always struck by the response of the Dutch. For here are people that, even 70 years after the fact, still organize well-attended parades. And they come and welcome and thank these heroes. I mean, these men, these veterans, might be appreciated for their work and for what they have done in Canada, but it's nothing compared to the gratitude they receive in Holland and in other countries. And why would this be? What would make the difference? Well, it's because these men liberated the Netherlands. They're the heroes of the Dutch, Call them their saviors. The Dutch just naturally show the joy and the gratitude for the sacrifice of these men and for what they have done, even seven years after the fact. And let us realize this key difference and respond accordingly. There's a big difference between someone as honoring someone as a Savior and honoring them as your Savior. Jesus is not just a Savior. He is our Savior. And he came to save God's people from God's wrath. And because of this, we know that there is salvation from sins. And we know that this is for us who believe in him. Now, the Catechism points also out a second reason why the Son of God is called Jesus, and namely that he is our only Savior. This brings us to our second point, that we believe in Jesus as our only Savior. And the Catechism says, And because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. He is the only one who can actually be called Savior, who can legitimately be called Jesus. And this leads to the next question in the Catechism, Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves, or anywhere else also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? And the Catechism realizes that we, sinful human beings, do not readily seek our salvation and our well-being in someone else or in Jesus Christ. In most cases, we're hesitant or at least cautious to just trust one Savior and to giving our lives to Him. We might want to have a backup plan or at least some extra sense of security or insurance that gives us a peace of mind. And in most cases in life, we're right to take extra steps, extra precautions to, to make sure that we are safe or secure. When we save files on a computer, we make sure that we back them up just to have that peace of mind and that extra security. But do we have to do something like that for our salvation or can we depend on Jesus Christ? Alone. And the Catechism will go on to mention that yes, we have to save Jesus Christ or believe in Jesus Christ as our only Savior. And yet, often we doubt. And this doubt can show in our actions. The Catechism is aware that some people do boast of Jesus as their only Savior, but they don't show that in their actions. They behave differently. Or at least they deny that He is their only Savior. They have other saviors beside Christ for extra security. So the fact is that we might believe in Jesus Christ, our Savior, but when we struggle with unbelief, we will doubt that believing in him is actually enough. And so we add to Jesus' work by our own works or by something else, and we decide to establish our own salvation and well-being, and we try to determine for ourselves what salvation is actually about. And we can do that in a number of different ways, and the Catechism mentions three, that we can seek it, our salvation in, our, um, in saints or in ourselves or anywhere else. And the reference to saints is, of course, to the practice of the Roman Catholics who prayed and worshipped saints. And it might be hard for us to exactly understand how saints could help us in our salvation, but I think we can all understand the idea of extra security here. When you have to, when you have to think when you think salvation has to be earned by doing good works, by earning merit, it would s- seem easy to turn to the experts for advice, for some extra help. The saints have already been through it all, so it's easy to turn to them hoping that they will save you or at least help you along the way. But another way that we can seek the salvation or, or salvation in our uh, or well-being outside of Christ is by seeking it in ourselves. And there are many ways that we can do this, and there can many factors that can play a role, and all all of them come down to an unbelief on our part, and all of them end up leaving Jesus Christ as our only Savior. And there's a number of factors that can play a role when we try to be our own Savior, and for example, we can deceive ourselves, or we just want to continue to keep control. So deception or control can play a role. And we can see that we can deceive ourselves. We naturally depend on ourselves in most of our everyday living, and we want to be independent. So we nat- might think that we always have our problems under control. And we might see that we might not see that we need help even when it comes to sin. We who have fallen into sin, we might be so blind that we don't realize how great God's wrath against sin actually is. And we might actually think that we ourselves are good enough to be our own savior. In doing so we either diminish God's wrath or we elevate our own capabilities or abilities in saving ourselves. And a biblical example of this such behavior would be the Pharisees in the New Testament. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs because he says, sure, they look all nice on the outside. They did their best to put up a clean and holy front, but they were dead on the inside. And as long as the Pharisees at least thought that the outside was all that mattered, all that counted, they didn't realize that they needed a Savior who was standing right in front of them, Jesus Christ. They deceived themselves. And Jesus Christ points that out. And he says, he shows them that dealing with sin is not a matter of putting on a great facade or a great act, but it requires a Savior who can work in our hearts by his Holy Spirit by the holy spirit. So we shouldn't deceive ourselves that we can think that we can deal with sin without completely depending on Jesus Christ as our savior. Because of ourselves we can't do it. And of ourselves just putting out a good outside, a good facade or a good acts is not enough. We need a savior. And for others or perhaps for the same people might control might be a factor that we believe in ourselves Or consider salvation to come from ourselves because we want to be in control. We might realize we need a savior, but that savior needs to help us in the way we want it done, or has to help us in our way. We want to be in control of our well-being, our salvation. We can often have that even among people where we want to help someone, and some people might realize that they need help, and yet we say, I want to be helped in these ways so that I can still be in control of my life. We want to set the terms of this help, of this salvation ourselves. And the thinking can be that, sure, God can help me, but he has to do it as I like it. So we want to be our own partial saviors. We want it to have a say in how we are going to be saved. We want to feel like we have a handle on our salvation, something to control and influence instead of handing ourselves and delivering ourselves over to Christ in faith. And considering our sinful human nature and our will to be in control, it's not strange that already in the early church, Paul has to warn the Galatians about their, salvations, about their salvation. The Galatians did not get rid of Christ completely. Sure, no, Christ is their Savior. But they did want to add some controllable elements, like circumcision. They wanted to do something, have something to contribute to, to their salvation. But Paul tells them in Galatians 5 verse 2 and 4 That indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. And Paul clearly tells them to Galatians, like, you have two options. You can believe in Jesus as your savior and accept all that he has done or you have to do it all on your own by obeying the law. You can't say, yes, I want to live by grace on the good days, on the good seasons of my life, but, I, but on the other seasons, I'll make it up myself. Or God, just save me from these weaknesses and we can mention the weaknesses God has to save us from, but for the rest, I'll take care of myself and determine my life and how I'll live it. Our salvation is not a matter of splitting the effort, but it is of complete trust in the work of Jesus Christ. Anyone who tries to work their own salvation is also left to work it all on their own. And lastly, the Catechism asks about seeking our salvation anywhere else. And if Jesus is the only Savior, then indeed nothing else can save us. Then anything else has to go. And that point has been made. Nothing else can save us. So Jesus is the only one who can set us free from our sin. And as we read in Colossians one, verse thirteen to fourteen, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Our salvation is not up to us and is not found anywhere else. It is not up to us to move from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. The king has to bring us in. These verses specify that we need to be delivered and to be transferred by God. And that is only possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. It is in him that we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. He is our only savior. And unless we believe this, that Jesus is our only savior, we fail to believe in Christ completely, or at least for who he really is. There is no halfway in this regard. Jesus is our savior and no other. Now, if we perhaps tend to doubt that Jesus is our only Savior, or if we tend to doubt that Jesus really completed it all, or completed all of our salvation for us, we can battle this doubt by thinking about the sufficiency, or at least the complete work, that Jesus Christ has fulfilled. And that brings us to our last point that we believe that Jesus is our complete Savior. If we believe that Jesus is our only Savior, then He also has to be our complete Savior. Otherwise, we're still not saved. And therefore, the Catechism gives us two two options, and Jesus is either one or the other. He is either not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. So Christ is either not a complete Savior, in in which case we should be looking for other Saviors, or we should find all that we need in him. And the question is, where do we seek our feeling of safety or security or of salvation in this life? What makes us feel safe in this world? Is it in Jesus Christ exclusively because he is our complete Savior? Or do we seek it in anything beside him? Now a good gauge of this and to figure out where we actually find our security is to ask ourselves, when do you feel secure of your salvation? Is it in, on good days or bad days? In the good seasons of your life or perhaps in the, less, the barren seasons of your life? When you're active and busy or when you're wondering what you should be doing? Now to be fair, feelings can be deceiving. But if we only feel safe and sure of our salvation in particular circumstances, when perhaps this and this and this is happening... Then there is a good good chance that we're seeking our salvation in those circumstances instead of in Jesus Christ alone. And then the catechism says, and Scripture says, that Christ is consistently our only and our complete Savior, and we don't need any circumstances or other saviors to supplement our salvation. It's not dependent on that. It's dependent on the work of Christ. And as an antidote against these feelings, to fight these feelings of doubt, Scripture shows us all that Christ has done so that we might begin to understand the completeness of his salvation and rest secure in it. In the passage we read from Colossians, Christ is exalted as the one that, might, that is preeminent in everything. It mentions that our Savior is truly God, the fullness of God dwelling in him. All things were created through him and for him. All things in this world hold together because of him. So that when he came to save us and pay for our sins by his blood, he truly could reconcile all things to himself. That he can truly reconcile each one of us to God. That God sent him to reconcile in himself all things to to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. And throughout these verses we read, every verse just points to Christ as the most preeminent, as the most glorious Savior. The one who sits on the throne right now. There's forgiveness of sins and redemption for those in his kingdom. Through his blood, we have peace with God. And as head of his church, Christ will continue his work and in the end will present us all, all who believe in him, as holy and blameless before God, his Father. Who else would be able to bring his church to himself? Who else would be able to be our complete Savior? if it's not the one who now has complete power. And so we can ask ourselves again the question of the introduction, who is Jesus Christ? We all have some idea of who Jesus is, but our idea can influence how much we believe in him and how much we trust him as our Savior Anyone will have a hard time trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior if they don't realize that he is their complete Savior. It would be foolish to depend on someone for something you don't think that they can actually accomplish. Especially when it comes to saving our lives, something as precious as our souls. In the case of life-threatening disease, you'll find the best doctor, the one you think will get the job done and can help you as best as possible. And so also we need a Savior that we can trust with our whole life. And in order to counter any doubt we might have of our Savior, we need to continually look to Jesus Christ and see that he is our complete Savior. And so ask yourself, what do you seek in this life? What is most important that you seek and you can't find in Christ? John Calvin asked this question. He wrote a paragraph in his Institutes, going through all of Christ's life, showing how he truly is a complete Savior. And I paraphrase here, but he wonders, do you perhaps seek a Savior who is gentle, gentle and humble and cares for his people? Well, then look at Christ's birth and look at how he had mercy on the lost people of Israel. Are you looking for a true redemption, that someone has actually paid for your sins, that you have committed and has paid for the hurt that you have, that you have done? Then look at Christ on the cross. Are you afraid of the condemnation that awaits you because you find yourselves guilty to, be, to have committed sins against the Most High? Then think of Christ who was condemned and executed in your place. If you perhaps wonder if anything will break the curse of the brokenness in this life, then see Christ hanging on the cross, cursed so that we might be blessed. Is your conscience perhaps troubled by guilt and guilt that sticks as a dirty stain Then see Christ's blood that flowed, a blood that washes whiter than snow. Or do you struggle with your sinful nature and wonder how you could ever be perfect or blameless, how you could ever get rid of this indwelling sin that continually works in you without dying or giving up your life? Well, then see Christ who died. But that wasn't the end. He also was raised to new life. Do you wonder if anything makes sense in this world? Do you perhaps feel lost and vulnerable? Then look to our Savior, who right now, as a good shepherd, sits on the throne and has all power and authority to protect and gather His church. When we doubt Jesus as our complete Savior, don't look away from Him, but look instead of to Him and see who He is and what He has done. See Him as the one who is preeminent as has completed all of our salvation. And therefore read scripture and see that Christ has done and, is, and see what he has done and what he is doing right now. And that he is our only and complete Savior. Look at him again and again when you discuss his life. He has finished it all for us. So don't depend on anything else. Because by doing that you reject the work of Christ. He saves us from our sins. That is exactly why he came to earth. Nothing else is needed because he is our complete Savior He is our complete Savior from beginning to end. He truly is Jesus. The Lord saves. He is our only Savior and all that we need for our well-being and our security and our salvation. Everything is found in Him. Amen.